I just let everything else in my life fall away. The kids could have been burning. The house could have been (laughs) falling apart. I'm like, nothing else mattered. I jump up. I'm pacing. I can still see myself pacing around the kitchen with the phone. I was so intense. Like, this is what you should do. And don't tell him this and blah, blah, blah. And I hang up the phone with her. I'm like, (gasps) five stars. Hello. Welcome to Statement Mondays, where we explore how different women harness their identities at work. I'm your host, Natalie Munster, and if you need a reason to be bold today, here it is. Today is Statement Monday. Our guest for this episode is a celebrity matchmaker and best-selling author, Rachel Greenwald. Rachel has an almost unbelievable story for how she got into matchmaking. Sneak peek, at one point she was measuring her adrenaline levels. In this interview, she talks about an attitude she calls the anti-cell, her extremist personality, which always leaves an impression, and how important passion is in your career. I should also disclose, Rachel's son, Max, is my boyfriend. And no, she did not play a role in us getting together, but I'm pretty sure Max learned a few tactics from her. All right, I'll catch you for a break during the interview, and then again at the end to discuss more of the ideas Rachel brings up. I am Rachel Greenwald. I am a professional matchmaker, dating coach, author of two dating books, and a speaker. I am the founder and CEO of my business called Elevated Connections, which is a double meaning for connections both in the dating world and also in the workplace, where I take the insights and advice that I learned over 20 years in the dating business and apply those to the workplace to help with things around personal branding, first impressions, better listening skills, and creating more meaningful and trustworthy professional connections. Great. So what would you say is your public identity? Well, I think publicly the reputation I have within my industry of other matchmakers is a really trusted one. I've always prided myself on never over-promising and turning away probably 80% of the clients that approach me Mm -hmm. because I don't want to be in the position where someone can say, you said you could help me and you didn't. Mm -hmm. So I really filter in people that I'm confident I can help. That's not to say I've been a hundred percent successful, but I think that reputation has been really important to me. And having a Harvard MBA in the matchmaking industry is extremely unusual. So it's been a unique part of my identity that I think has brought a lot of credibility in an industry where there are no credentials. Definitely. I mean, no matchmaking credentials. So the MBA from a top school has almost been a proxy for like reputable, intelligent. And I guess the only other aspect of identity is that I believe in something that I've labeled the anti-cell. And it's basically just the opposite of being self-promoting and the opposite of trying to sell someone something. So when Max was talking about his investor interview that he had right before dinner and he just talked about life with her and then 
you know, right at the end, she said, oh, we haven't even talked about your company. And he's like, yeah, you know, well, I don't even know if we can get you in, but, you know, we'll circle back. He just wasn't trying to sell her on mm-hmm. investing in him at all, mm-hmm. which had the effect of her desperately wanting to invest in him. <laughs> yeah. And that's the anti-sell. That's and the I'm anti-sell. thinking one day I might write a book on it or give a TED Talk on it, but it filters out the people that you shouldn't be working with mm-hmm. and filters in the people who really want to work with you. So, you know, when I talk to a prospective client, I just listen to the things that they're saying and I'll give them a lot of alternatives that are really easy and cheap and, and tell them usually that they can do this on their own. It's really expensive to work with matchmakers. If they ask me, well, you know, what can you offer me? I'm like, well, I can't offer you anything, Mm -hmm. but we can discuss later what kind of things we could accomplish together. You know, Mm -hmm. like just, immediately turned off to any kind of salesy message. Yeah. Focusing on what their agenda is and not what your agenda is, is the most Mm. effective way to do business with people. Mm -hmm. And that's a very deliberate business decision that has really served me well, at least in this industry. Is it something then that you've developed throughout your matchmaking business so far? Is that just yeah, a personality a good, trait of yours in general? That's as a well? good question. I think my parents just gave me this impression, gave me this confidence to go out into the world and have this attitude like, if this doesn't work out, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And that was a subtle core belief that led me to never try to sell myself Mm. and here's what I do. Mm -hmm. And if it's not a fit, no worries. Mm -hmm. You guys just always had that idea. And then when I got married, in my mind, it was very clear that I always wanted an interesting job and career that would be part-time and flexible, especially after I had kids, Mm -hmm. but that I was never going to be the breadwinner. And so not needing to meet financial goals mm-hmm. gave me the freedom to pick and choose who I wanted to work with. <laughs> Great backstory to <laughs> why you can really pick and choose. And so financial stability and not having to worry about that was definitely one source. Um, and also perceived financial ability because okay. yeah. like it was more of an attitude than mm. a number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes a difference as well. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. No, I I was just going to ask about, you know, a little bit more on the confidence side. You said you were looking for something part-time. And so I'm curious how you fell into the matchmaking business. I'm curious where that confidence came from to pursue matchmaking in general and know that that was something that you were good at and to stick with it. So I did not choose it in the same way that people choose jobs. So my... First of all, I did work full-time until I had Max. Mm -hmm. So, you know, both before business school and after business school, I worked full-time until I was 31. Got it. And And what were you working as full-time then? After business school, I worked for almost two years as a marketing manager at Evian Water. And then when I had Max, I knew for sure I couldn't handle full-time work. That Mm -hmm. was just insane. I don't know how anyone does it. I worked a number of part-time jobs after that. And then we had moved to Denver and 
I had even stopped working altogether to Mm -hmm. make that transition work. So I stopped working for a year and it was the most miserable year of my life. You couldn't even define the level of flexibility I needed. I needed to be able to stop working for months at a time if I needed to. And I needed to be able to work from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. if I felt like it because one of the kids had been sick all day and I was at the pediatrician and then I had to take a nap because I was up with them for the whole night. So I'm like, okay, forget all the questions I've asked up to this point. Like, what am I good at? What experience do I have? Mm -hmm. What do I like to do? What's in Denver? None of those traditional questions. I asked, what is the most flexible part-time job on the planet? (laughs) where I can pick it up or put it down at all hours of the day, leave it for months at a time, whatever I need to. Like I can't have anybody that I'm working with because I can't have anybody relying on me to get Mm -hmm. them something at a particular time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like what is that? Does that exist? And so the only answer that made sense was to write. Uh Like you can pick it up and put it down whenever you want. I think I'm just going to write a book. Like, why not? I I had no writing experience. I'd never written anything more than a term paper in college. Mm-hmm. So this was in 2000. So this is 20 years ago. And I ordered three or four books on becoming an author and just read up on it. And so the very first chapter was you have to decide fiction or nonfiction. I'm like, okay, well, fiction seems like a skill. So I don't have that <laughs> skill. But... I like giving advice. I'm very bossy. So I'll just write self-help. I'll just tell people what to Mm do. And then the chapter said, like, what's your topic? Like, oh, shoot. I knew that (laughs) to be a catch. I don't have a topic. And the (sighs) chapter was very clear that whatever topic you pick, you have to be insanely passionate about it Mm. because it's going to become your life for years. It takes a really long time to write a book, go through the process, so you better love it. That rules it out. I have nothing that I love. So at the same time, I was on this diet where they said, keep a food journal of everything you eat. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if that would work for finding a book topic and something I'm passionate about if I write down every single thing I do for a week thousands of smaller big activities like Mm -hmm. making tea or going to the grocery store or you know having dinner cooking dinner like every single thing I did for a week Mm -hmm. I decided to write down and rank that activity on a scale of one to five stars based on how much it spiked my adrenaline but importantly this was all about enjoyment and passion which Mm -hmm. is what the book had instructed so i'm like okay so you know grocery shopping cooking dinner one star like Mm -hmm. zero adrenaline or passion and at the end of the week i had thousands of things that i had written down and only two things that had five stars next to them one was drinking my morning tea. As you can see, like I have a whole Always. tea cabinet. Yes. <laughs> and I like supply. look forward to it. So I'm like, oh, should I open a tea shop? <sighs> like, no, that's not flexible. And then the only other thing was a phone conversation I had had with a single friend who was at the time 40 years old, I think. 
And she called me in the middle of the day, distraught about her dating life. And I just let everything else in my life fall away. The kids could have been burning. The house could have been (laughs) falling apart. I'm like, nothing else mattered. I jump up. I'm pacing. I can still see myself pacing around the kitchen with the phone. I was so intense. Like, this is what you should do. And don't tell him this and blah, blah, blah. And I hang up the phone with her. I'm like, dating advice to my friend, (laughs) five stars. And that's how I picked matchmaking. I mean, it started out as a book. So I wrote a self-help book. That's, first of all, such a cool (laughs) tactic to write down everything that gives you zero to five amount of adrenaline. 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 And I also didn't know then that your matchmaking career started from a book. Yeah. Started in 2001. And then the book that came out in 2003 was Find a Husband After 35. And eventually when the book came out and I started doing media interviews and went on a 10-city book tour, I started getting a lot of people writing to my website and talking to me after book signings. Mm -hmm. And people were asking, do you do matchmaking? (laughs) Mm-hmm. what's matchmaking so I had to google it what is matchmaking I don't even yeah. know is that like some really old-fashioned thing there was no pretty much no matchmaking industry mm-hmm. then no dating apps really there was Maybe only yeah, one online. which was match.com yes. which had just come out okay and it came out I think in 1999 or 2000 mm-hmm. and nobody was using it it was highly skewed towards men. Mm-hmm. Anyway, from the book came the client interest mm-hmm. and the matchmaking and coaching. Got it. And so I think that's a significant distinction, at least in my mind, that yeah. you found your role based on people asking you to take on that role yeah. rather than yeah. picking something that you think you like and running with it and hoping that people will, will come on. Yeah. I find that in a lot of things that if you just follow something you're really curious about Mm -hmm. and that for whatever reason spikes your adrenaline, lots of things start to emanate from it. You don't necessarily have to know Mm -hmm. what the end goal is, but just know that it's like you're a a magnet to things that are related to it Mm -hmm. and you'll sort of find a path that works out of it. Mm -hmm. And I've thought about that if you spend more time doing things that you really love for yourself, it's also like people see you differently. They see you as someone who is more confident and knows what they like, regardless of what it is that you're doing. Yeah. I I go on and talk for many minutes at a time to unknowing people about my rock collection. Little do they know that that's, you know, they didn't want to hear it necessarily, but that kind of adds a new facet of myself in their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great Uh, example. Like you could have written (laughs) an advice book on becoming a rock collector and who knows what would have come out of that. (laughs) Which brings me to another question that I have, which is, do you bring your whole self to work? What does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, when I am working on a matchmaking client in particular, it just takes over my life. Mm -hmm. Um, When I, (laughs) Working on a search, I'm just consumed with it. Mm-hmm. It's just such a obsession that I can't turn it off. I, I have clients on dates, and if you know, I don't turn off my phone till like one in the morning when I have a client out on a date because oh, wow. I'm dying to hear how it went. 
And even if it's a different facet of what I'm working on, uh, upcoming podcast interview or an upcoming class or workshop that I'm teaching or lecture, I'm totally obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And down to ridiculous details that aren't good for anybody. Just, I'm a perfectionist and it's, you know, for a while, I think I tried to fix that and then realized I couldn't, I just Mm -hmm. had to accept it and Mm. try to work around it. Yeah. So I bring more than my whole self, unfortunately. And it, but I mean, the downside of that is that I burn out. Like I get, you know, it's just not healthy. And so I'll have to take long breaks between things Mm. because I just, I can't unwind from it. Let's pause here. First of all, can we just acknowledge that she calls herself bossy? Bonus points to her for embracing it. That's not commonly referred to as a positive trait, but it absolutely can be. For her, it's what makes her so good at matchmaking. If you remember Carla's interview in episode three, she also said she's bossy, quote, when things need to get done. And honestly, that's what makes her so good at execution. So in this break, let's also briefly talk about the anti-cell. I would absolutely listen to Rachel's TED Talk if she ever does one on it. I have this problem. I think it's a problem at least. It could also be an asset. If you haven't picked up on it already, I'm sure it will come up again in future episodes. But I am such a pleaser. I'm always trying to leave a good impression, and so I'm eager to say what I think someone wants to hear. In dating terms, since this is a dating-related episode, let's just say playing hard to get is not my strategy of choice. It stresses me out. Now, Rachel, on the other hand, is not a pleaser. She's not afraid to turn away people who won't fit with her style of work. In doing this, Rachel is exuding what I consider to be a pretty rare level of confidence. She's also built this prestigious matchmaking business by maintaining a high bar. She's risking potential clients and therefore income, but she knows what she has to offer and what works for her. So in the rest of the interview, we'll hear more of Rachel's extremism come through in her life motto. And if you're not familiar yet with how Statement Mondays works, my final question is always, what are your heels? And that's asking for what she brings to her job every day, physical or not, that gives her strength and that she can always rely on. Great. Let's jump back in. So then I'm also curious about a memorable moment that you felt invincible at work. I think one moment that recently comes to mind was I was invited to give a lecture to the accounting department at their awards banquet at Claremont McKenna College. Did you ever hear about this? No. Yeah. The dating business has nothing to do with accounting, obviously. (laughs) But I had a business school classmate who called me out of the blue and he had heard me speak. I did a 20-minute TED Talk at our 25th HBS reunion. And so he had heard me speak there and he called me out of the blue a few months later and said, Mm -hmm. my dad is chairman of the accounting department at Claremont McKenna college. Mm -hmm. And he's taught here for, you know, 50 years. Mm -hmm. And there's an annual banquet where all the accounting department majors come to a fancy dinner at the faculty club. And it's just like an awards night where the most, you know, innovative accounting thesis paper is given an award or whatever. 
And it's so boring every year and nobody ever wants to go, but they kind of shut up. Mm -hmm. And so this year my dad said, what if we got a speaker from an entirely different industry Mm -hmm. that was just inherently like a different topic and something that everybody was really fascinated with that would make people want to come to the accounting banquet. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I told him about you and I'm wondering (laughs) if we could fly you out to give a 20 minute talk about dating. (laughs) Cool. Wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That is so bizarre Mm -hmm. that I have to do it just for the story. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about it. So anyway, I fly out there and I guess I just felt so confident because the bar was so low, you know, like Mm. he had described years of boring banquet dinners and nobody had high expectations Uh and nobody knew anything about the dating business. So I could say the smallest, most, you know, inane thing. And everybody thought it was fascinating. Yeah. So I just remember being up on stage and walking around the room and, you know, they were filming me and I had a microphone and I'm sure you were a goddess on that stage. (laughs) As opposed to if I had given that same speech to my colleagues, two or three times I gave the keynote speech at the matchmaking industry conference. Mm. It's called LoveCon. (laughs) So at LoveCon in New York, I had been the keynote speaker, I think three times over a 10 year period. And I was way more nervous for that Mm. because they really know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you have to really up your game in a crowd of peers. Definitely. So Rachel, what is your life motto? Well, one thing that I have always believed in is that I don't want to be vanilla, that I would rather be a flavor that people love or hate. And I've felt that way my whole life, that I don't think many people feel indifferent about me. They are either, you know, fans or I don't know what the word is, haters. (laughs) Um, I like to be provocative. I don't like small talk. And I have this quote that I've always loved. You want to come into my life, the door is open. You want to leave my life, the door is open. Just one request, don't stand at the door, you're blocking traffic. To me, that quote is about understanding that some people are going to like you and some people are going to hate you and that's okay. Just, you know, for those who hate you, like, get out of the way and make room for people who are going to be drawn to you. I find myself having strong feelings about a lot of things. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm an extremist. I love something or I hate something. And I just feel like my interactions with people are the same way. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, It does resonate with me. And I've also tried more frequently to leave some kind of impression because if you don't leave any impression at all, you're forgettable. Yeah. And I do think it's better to be memorable in some way, even if it's not necessarily a good connotation. Yeah. I mean, 
I think that's what Statement Monday is, is all about, right? Making a statement. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's almost like the essence of this motto, which is <laughs> wild or inappropriate or, you know, something creative or something really terrible. It's, it's something yeah. just to make any kind of statement. You stand out for it. And hopefully the statement is something that you believe in. Yeah. And so I, for the Statement Monday's event itself, I really love when people show up wearing something that's super them, but that someone else might not wear. We had someone, um, one guy, he had in a man's skirt, and that was really fun because I've never (laughs) seen anyone wear that. And I was thrilled. Um, I loved that he wore it so proudly and it represented him so well. And and he came to work making a statement. And was memorable. (laughs) It's kind of like that expression, go big or go home. Yeah. You know, that there's just this idea that somewhere in the middle is not the way to live. Mm -hmm. And I think I would rather have at my funeral 10 people who adored me and thought Mm -hmm. everything I did for them and the world was amazing instead of funerals where hundreds of people show up. Mm -hmm. Like, I really do think that there'll be 10 people at my funeral. I would rather have that um, small but mighty fan base, even if the numbers of people that hate me are astronomical. Mm -hmm. My final question is, what are your heels? You know, I do a lot of audio calls and Mm -hmm. I don't do video calls as much if I can avoid it. I find that when I'm on a video call with somebody, for example, I am really self-conscious about the image on the computer screen. Oh, I don't like the way my hair looks right now or whatever. I'm like, okay, that is not effective in building a connection with this person because Mm -hmm. I'm not fully focused on them. And so I'm much better as a voice on the phone. So I don't know if my heels metaphorically are my voice. It's almost limitations of yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Got it. Like and I awareness. feel most invincible yeah. when I am having an audio only conversation with somebody. And a lot of people have told me, so I did a lot of radio when I was promoting my books yeah. as well as TV and print interviews, whatever. Yeah. And I got the most compliments on radio. You know, it was always audio. Like I'm channeling more insight and energy into what I'm saying. And it physically changes the quality of my voice. That was Rachel Greenwald. Hands up if you think obsession is a theme for this interview. If you can turn your obsession into your career, oh my gosh, I think that's amazing. You just have to watch out for a few things like being potentially too invested and burnout, like Rachel mentioned. Let's talk now about a few different things. Her adrenaline rankings, the power of passion, even if it's unrelated to your job, and taking something you're good at and putting it in a new context. Okay. Rachel's system of writing down every single thing she did in a week and ranking it according to adrenaline spike was kind of mind-blowing how it actually kicked off her extremely successful career. Something I also noticed as a quick aside, she has a different attitude about her role and her priorities than I imagine a lot of my other guests have and also that I have. 
There's so much conversation right now about how women's careers should be equal to men's, and let's abolish the stereotype of women as the homemakers and childcare and sacrificing their careers for this. Well, Rachel is a really interesting case because she leaned into that stereotype instead of rejecting it. She assumed she would never be the breadwinner of her family, embraced that, didn't feel belittled by it, and so she used that attitude to instead find and follow a passion that she would eventually turn into an actual business, and one that was quite lucrative. That's just a different mindset than what I'm used to hearing about in modern female role models, at least. The best part is, there's no one right mindset to have or path to take. You have to find what works for you. So I'm glad Rachel is here to provide a different perspective on career and family balance. Okay, back to the start of her matchmaking passion. Something she recognized after writing her first book is people would approach her saying that she was good at it and ask for more. Same with people saying she has a great radio voice. You may think you are good or bad at something, but the biggest thing is to put yourself out there and try these new things and see what sticks. Matchmaking and writing were risks for her. She didn't know she was good at them until she tried. Actually, she didn't even know how to do them until she tried. And another example, podcasting is totally new for me. I'm still figuring out if I'm any good at it, but I will say a friend told me, quote, your mm-hmmms rival Michael Barbaro's on the daily. I'll take that as a good sign but I might never find out about my radio voice or other podcast-related skills if I didn't start Statement Mondays. On to a different topic. I think to me the most resonant thing she said was, quote, if you just follow something you're really curious about and that for whatever reason spikes your adrenaline, lots of things start to emanate from it. This could not be more true. Passionate people are just magnets. The energy they exude is contagious and, in my opinion, impossible to replicate without passion. And she talks about how she never wants to be vanilla. As I mentioned earlier, I'm very much a people pleaser, which can mean that I'm sometimes vanilla because I just want to say the right thing, do the right thing, rather than take my own stance and make my own statement. I've definitely made it a point to be stronger in my opinions and to not care as much about other people's reactions to them, but I'm still figuring out how to leave more of an impression rather than just please people and fade into the distance. So I'm glad you are along for the ride with me, and together we're going to figure out how to make a statement. Interestingly, and this is my last point, the time she described feeling invincible was when she was on a stage at an accounting event. She was infusing something she knows so well, matchmaking, to an entirely different area, accounting, and she was the star of the show. She was unexpected and a breath of fresh air. If you need a little boost of energy or validation, try that. Take something you know well and apply it in an unexpected way. And you know I'm going to give my own example for this one. Can't wait. 2016, junior year of college, I decided to dip my feet in research just to try. But of course, instead of doing straight up computer science research, which was my major, I asked my archaeology professor from a single archaeology class I'd taken, whether I could work on his research and take a very quantitative approach using my CS knowledge. Let me tell you, he was so excited. They'd never had a computer science major work on anything archaeology related there. In his eyes, I was a goddess. Or at least that's how it felt. I went on to do my senior capstone using computer vision 
with his professor's 3D scans of Roman marble columns and capitals to hypothesize various things about how they were made. Super technical. If you're actually interested in learning more, I've linked my research paper in the show notes on the Statement Monday's website. And little follow-up, I got to go on that professor's fieldwork trip that summer in Sicily to go excavate the shipwreck that these capitals and columns were on. By far, one of the coolest things I've ever done, and something I never would have had the opportunity to do had I not decided to apply the skill that I had, computer science, into archaeology. Another passion I had, but never had the chance to explore. And since we're already talking about rocks, I suppose I could show you my fossil and mineral collection that I mentioned with Rachel. I have a rockstagram. So on Instagram, I have an account called Crystal is my middle name, separated by underscores. And yep, Crystal is actually my middle name, just spelled differently. All right, wonderful people. Please follow or subscribe to the podcast if you're enjoying this content and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, be bold. Today is Statement Monday. I'm Natalie Munster, and my intern is Mallory Pilon. You can learn more about me and Statement Mondays at statementmondays.com or follow us on Instagram at Statement Mondays. I'd love to hear what you think and how you have been bold lately, so please get in touch. I'll see you next Monday. Bye.